So uh, right now, I want you guys to think about the word wait. I mentioned that we're going to be talking about waiting, but I really want you to think of that word wait. Imagine someone telling you to wait, and I want you to think about how that word makes you feel. How many of us are fans of the word wait? Like when you're being told to wait, it doesn't exactly conjure up fuzzy feelings, does it? It usually conjures up feelings of maybe frustration, uh, maybe angst or longing or impatience. Uh, my kids are one years old, three years old, and five years old, and they get bummed uh, when they're told to wait, especially if you're telling them to wait for a snack for their snack time. Like if there's cookies baking in the oven and they keep asking, hey, are they done yet? And we got to tell them to wait. They're not fans of that word wait. We don't like to wait in long lines. We don't like to have to wait for that summer blockbuster movie. And then there are deeper longings, deeper forms of waiting that we don't want to have to wait for. Like, man, I can't, I can't wait for this season to be over. I can't wait to be around the people I love again. Right now, many of us around the world can't wait for COVID-19 to come to an end. Uh, Tom Petty, the old songwriter, he captured the angst of waiting really well in his song that he calls appropriately, uh, The Waiting. In this song, I want to read you some of the lyrics from his chorus. He says, The Waiting is the hardest part. Every day you get one more yard, you take it on faith, you take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. I think he really kind of speaks of the, the feeling that we have, the angst that we feel when we're longing, when we're waiting. As a species, we have a hard time waiting. And so this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like to trust God in a season of waiting, what it looks like to wait maybe when even God seems silent to us. And so for that, we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. If you have a physical Bible, it's just a little bit half through, uh, halfway. Uh, you can see in my bookmark right there, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, and I want us to read uh, verse 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, saying, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, and he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall feel exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the big idea that I want us to see in this text, just to give it to you on the front end, is that with a right posture of heart, 
Waiting on the Lord can strengthen our faith and increase our hope. With a right posture of heart, waiting on the Lord can actually strengthen our faith and increase our hope. And so our first point for this morning is I want you to just know that Christianity is hopeful waiting. Waiting is just a part of the Christian experience. Waiting and longing is part of the human experience, but it's also part of the Christian experience. But for the Christian, waiting is always hopeful. I want us to see the angst and the longing of the people in verse 27. Read again that that verse with me. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Now, here's what you need to know, just as a background uh, about this passage of text. Uh, At the time that Isaiah chapter 40 was written, uh, the people, God's people, the nation of Israel had been deported from their land by the Babylonians. And they're now currently living in exile. And they've been forced into this season uh, while they're in exile of discomfort, uh, just a lot of questions, this wilderness of unknowns. And in verse 27 here, we see that the people are wondering if God has abandoned them. That's why uh, Isaiah says, why are you saying my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Uh, The people are wondering if God has abandoned them and if he's abandoned the promises that he has made to them. A whole other book of the Bible that's filled with these cries of lament, the book of Lamentations, actually came out of this period. Uh, Did you know that? Did you know that, that there's an entire book of the Bible full of cries of lament? Cries of longing and suffering that is just saturated with words of sorrow and mourning because of pain and because of loss. Uh, I want you want to read really quick uh, this this one of those verses in Lamentations chapter one. It says Zion, which is a nickname, uh, a proper name for Israel. It says Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. Isn't that brutally honest to say, God, we stretch out our hands to you, but we feel like there's no one there to comfort us. I love that the Bible is so honest about the darkest of human moments, the darkest of seasons. It's just honest about our feelings of longing and lament. Or what about these Psalms of lament? You have in, in, in Psalm 42, verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Dude, you know that's a bad day when your tears taunt you. When they say, hey, look, where's your God now? You know that that's a bad day. Or what about Psalm uh, 1, 130, verses 1 through and, and 2, where, where the psalmist says, out of the depths, out of the depths of my heart, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. 
Or how about this in Psalm 88, where it says, you're crying out to God, it says, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Man, the psalmist there, he's depressed. He's lamenting. He's longing. These are the words of somebody who is waiting and suffering because they are waiting. With this global pandemic, with COVID-19, I think that this is a season of lament for many of us. A season of waiting for many of us. And it's seasons just like this where maybe we start to ponder questions like, God, where are you in all of this? Why would you allow this to happen? Do you still care about me? But these are the kinds of questions that we can ask as we just read in the Psalms and in Lamentations. These are the kind of questions that we can ask of the Christian faith. Otherwise, our faith is shallow and doesn't have any real teeth to it. And I think that many of us, though, the problem is that many of us, we actually haven't been conditioned to ask questions like this. And maybe we're in a season of life where this is sort of new to us. Like, we don't really have a language for this in South Orange County, do we? I mean, you know, you, you know what it is that I love about where we live? It's just how comfortable we are. It's how comfortable it is to live here. That's why people move to South Orange County, to the Saddleback Valley. They come because it's safe and because we're close to luxuries like the beach or like the mountains. We're close to the lake uh, and the desert. Uh, it's just comfortable to live here. We have comfortable weather. But you know, it's one of the things that really bugs me uh, about where we live it's also how comfortable we are, how comfortable it is to live here. We don't know what it's like to deal with the reality of discomfort. We don't know what it looks like to truly lament outwardly. I mean, sometimes we even see this in the church, right? Because uh, we're culturally uh, conditioned to sort of put on a happy face to keep up with the Joneses, Joneses and to present that we're okay on the outside because, man, you know, we, we, we live in an amazing place and we're doing amazing. But, 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 but we, we need a, 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 a language for how to lament and how to express our discomfort and longing. Uh, and even in the church, like we, we, we have a trouble with this. Like if you share feelings about being anxious or worried or depressed, people don't know how to handle that. They'll, they'll make a beeline towards something positive to say, something spiritual to say. We, we tend to avoid real heart talk like the plague or, or like the coronavirus. We avoid, avoid it like the coronavirus and we, we just want to keep up, keep up uh, this appearance. We want to keep it at the surface level, just keep it at small talk. But this moment that we live in, this pandemic has kind of forced on us this collective group universal season of discomfort, hasn't it? It's this season of collective lament and longing where we're all sort of suffering together. 
we were talking to a friend recently who who uh, has really just been going through this intense season of suffering over the last few years and and they said that um, one of the strangely encouraging things about this season with uh, is is how everyone altogether seems to understand now what it means to suffer together find that everyone kind of knows what it's like for them uh, to go through 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 suffering uh, and and this type of suffering this longing for lament is what's happening to the people in our text it's what's happening to God's people in Isaiah chapter 40 this was a nation that once shone like the stars and now they're darkened by a season of exile God's promises seemed far away and lost and maybe even buried to them. His voice seemed silent to them. But what we're going to see is that it's actually in that context. It's in that sort of space and season that the place of longing, it's in that space that God meets them. It's in that space that he tells them that he's always been there, even when they didn't feel it. And now he reminds them, we see, is something encouraging about themselves. Look here in, in Isaiah 40, in verse 27. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? You see, by using those words, he's reminding them something about themselves. God's people are referred to as Jacob and Israel. By dropping these names, he would remind them about their history with their God. You see, regardless of how they see themselves, it's at, at, which is like as if God doesn't care about them, God is showing them that he sees them as Israel, as Jacob. He sees them as under his covenant of grace. It's his way of saying, look, you are still my bride. You are still the apple of my eye. You see, the significance of those names, Jacob and Israel, is, is it would jog their memories to long before their current crisis that they're surrounded by. It would remind them of this time from before where their forefather, Jacob, wrestled with God and blessed him for it. And to signify sort of a new beginning for Jacob, God changed his name. God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which in the Hebrew literally means you have striven with God and, and with men and have prevailed. And now in Isaiah 40, they are, by dropping those names, they're being reminded of their heritage, of their rich gospel heritage that God's people strive with God and that he pulls through for them. It would remind them that because they belong to God, any season of waiting is also a striving. It's an active striving. In other words, it's a hopeful waiting. Maybe you need a, that reminder this morning. That for the Christian, any waiting is a hopeful waiting. The Apostle Paul wrote repeatedly in the New Testament about the Christians wrestle with hopeful waiting. In, in his letter to the church in Rome, he says, not only does creation uh, groan, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan in Christ. We groan inwardly, he says, and we wait 
eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What he's not saying is that as a Christian, like, yes, there's a sense in which you have already been adopted as sons, but man, there's still a day that we long for when we'll be united with Jesus at the family supper table, at the supper table of the Lamb, uh, and we are going to sit and dine with the Lamb of God, with Jesus in the flesh, and there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more longing, and it will just be eternal bliss in the presence of our living God. That's what the Christian constantly waits for, and but that's also knowing that that's promised to us, that that future is promised to us. That makes the Christian waiting a hopeful waiting. And so that brings us now into our second point. I want you to see now and recognize the opportunity that this kind of waiting brings. Now, actually, earlier in the chapter, earlier in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, Isaiah begins his word of comfort to the people in exile. And he says in verse 3, a voice cries out, an encouraging voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In other words, he's preaching the good news that God is coming. He's going to pull through for you. I want you to remember here in looking at verse 3 that God's people are in exile in the desert. And this is significant because the desert was considered wilderness. That's why both of those words are used because it was, it was away from civilization. There was nothing glamorous about the desert back then. Like in the ancient Near East, the desert wasn't Joshua Tree. It wasn't where you go for your glamorous photo shoots. It's a place where the blazing heat during the day, uh, you had blazing heat during the day and no shade to hide under. It's where you had blistering cold at night and no shelter from it. The highway wasn't paved. They had no cars. You had to travel around by foot, travel around by animal. Like Camelback wasn't what you you hold your, your water in. Camelback was what you put your, you hoisted your family onto, right? Like, so the desert was a, a, a harsh place. Uh, it was a place where there was nothing to eat, nothing to drink, just a bunch of thorns and a lot of open space for miles and miles and miles. But what this tells us is that it's in that space. It's in that silent waiting in that season of longing that they're told here in verse 3 to prepare the way of the Lord. Look, I want to point out that God is not surprised by any of this. He's not surprised by the exile. He's, he's sovereign over their situation. What Babylon intended to cause for harm, God intended to utilize for good, to cause for good. If you want to do a fun study while you have all this extra time uh, 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 at home, uh, study the theme of wilderness in the scriptures. When you study the theme of wilderness throughout the scriptures in the Old and New Testament, you see that the wilderness is a place where God's people meet their God where they experience him in fresh ways. It's where his silence is felt, but it's also where he draws near to them. It's in the wilderness that Abraham journeyed. 
It's in the wilderness that Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. It's in the wilderness where God, God tells Hosea that he's going to draw them out into the desert. Uh, and he says, when you're there in the wilderness, that's when you're going to start calling me husband and not just master. That's a way of saying, look, in the desert wilderness, there's going to be a shift in your heart from merely saying, God is up there, he's far and he's unreachable, to where we start to say, God loves me. Like a husband loves his wife. He loves me. He's for me, not against me. He loves me and I love him. That is the opportunity that waiting in the desert wilderness brings. We see it all throughout the scriptures. All throughout the scriptures, we see that the desert wilderness brings the opportunity to find God anew. It's in the desert seasons that he draws near and that we can, that we sort of reunite with his voice. You know why that is? It's because in the city, it was full of busyness, full of comforts and full of distractions. But in the desert wilderness, it's quiet. You're forced to slow down. You're forced to consider your spiritual condition and your relationship with God. So here's my family to you guys, or my family. Here's my challenge, rather, to you guys. I want you to consider that maybe this forced time at home, away from the from busyness of life, uh, rather than, than fill up that time with like busy thoughts and a busy schedule, maybe use this time to consider who you really are, to slow down and consider who you really are and who God really is to you. Maybe what it means for you to be a son or daughter of the living God, consider what that means. Now is the time for you to discover that more deeply. And so if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to recognize the opportunity that the desert wilderness brings. Are you okay with God unsettling you if you gain more of him? You have the opportunity for this to be sort of like a breakthrough moment for you, to leverage this season for breakthrough. This can be a breakthrough moment for you, and it can be a breakthrough moment for our church as we're in this season of waiting and this season of longing. Right now, I want us to, to go through uh, really and unpack really what this is an opportunity for. Okay, so waiting in the desert wilderness is an opportunity for us. And I want us to sort of tease out what that means exactly and talk about what is this an opportunity for? What is waiting, hopeful waiting, an opportunity for us to do? Uh, so first, it's an opportunity uh, for rehearsing truth to yourself. It's an opportunity for us to rehearse uh, the truths of scriptures to ourselves. Uh, we actually see this modeled for us in verse 28. Isaiah calls out the people and he says, look, have you not known? Have you not heard. Uh, in asking those questions, he, he is, is reminding them uh, of, of, of what they've already known and already heard. Like, I, I, I love this. Uh, 
I love that. It's a great reminder for us that we need to be actually preaching truth to ourselves. If you're a Christian this morning, like that is all of our job. Uh, the only preacher that, that we listen to shouldn't be the pastor. It shouldn't be me or whoever's teaching on Sundays. Like, like the, the, you should, we should also be preaching God's truth to ourselves. We need to hear the wonderful truths of God and know them all over again and again and again. Uh, here's how the late Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says, I love this. He says, have you realized that the most of your, uh, of, of your unhappiness in life is actually due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So what is it that you talk to yourself about? What do you preach to yourself Isaiah's encouragement is to preach the wonderful things of God that you've already known. That's why he says, have you not heard? He's not reinventing the Christian faith. He's not progressing upon the Christian faith. He's calling them back to what they've already known. That age old gospel, what they've already known, what they've already experienced. You see, hopeful waiting is also an opportunity for us to remember who our God is. That's a number, the second point, uh, the, the second opportunity this is for, remembering who your God is. I want you to notice specifically what it is that Isaiah focuses on. He says, the Lord is the everlasting God. In other words, he's not limited by time. He's the creator of the heavens and earth. He's not limited by space. He does not faint or grow weary. This God is not limited in power and his understanding understanding, it says, is unsearchable. So he's not limited in wisdom. Now, there's an important principle that Isaiah is modeling for us here. Now, often when we need, what we need most is for God to reveal not so much his plan, but just to reveal himself to get a glimpse of his awesome character. Sometimes that's what we need the most. What we need is for God to speak to us through his word, not answering the question why or how long, but to answer the all-important question, who? Who are you, God, in the middle of this? My circumstances are weighing me down, but God, remind me who you are who you are for me. You see, one of the best things that you can do when you're feeling down, when you're feeling oppressed, is to take your eyes off of your circumstances and to meditate on God and on his character. Isaiah is saying, look, this is the God who is the everlasting God. He does not grow weary. He is not tired of you. He's not tired of the world. He's still good. He's still wise. He's still sovereign and in control. He's not up there thinking, oh no, my people are in exile. Now what do I do? He's not up there saying, oh no, a pandemic again. What do I do now? Now what? He is our God. He's always in control. He's always good. He's always wise. And it would do our souls well to reacquaint ourselves with his nature and with his character. That will do good for the soul that, help, that hopefully uh, waits. I love the way that Nancy Guthrie, or Guthrie rather, uh, just beautifully puts this. Um, she says, 
Our task isn't to decipher exactly how all of life's pieces fit and what they all mean, but to remain faithful and obedient to the God who knows all mysteries. This is the kind of faith that's pleasing to God, a faith that's determined to trust him when he hasn't answered all the questions. Would you rest in knowing there are mysteries we will never understand completely in this life? And would you resist trying to explain an unexplainable God? You see, when we fix our eyes on God and his majesty and his beauty and his glory and holiness, when he gets bigger, we and others and our problems grow dim, grow smaller in the light of his grace as one hymn writer once wrote so i want you to read on here though here's what's wild this god isaiah says this god who is not limited by time not limited by space or power or wisdom here's what that magnificent god does for us uh it, it gives us an uh, verse 29 it says he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength so hopeful waiting is also an opportunity for us to receive strength from the Lord, to receive his strength. God says, my power, my great power is yours. My presence is, is, is near to you. Now, it might take time for us to feel it, to feel that he's near, to feel that he's powerful, but it's not because he's slow to act, but it's because we're too cautious to turn to him and receive. Or it's because our suffering is too, is too great and we need time for us to grow in our view of, of God and his character and, and, and how, who he is in the middle of this. Now I want you to look, does he just give his power to just anyone? Look at verse 29. Does he give his power to just anyone? No, verse 29 says he gives power to the faint. He's referring to those who are actually spiritually weak those who are tired, those who are depressed and discouraged. Man, do any of those describe you this morning? Do any of those words, tired, depressed, discouraged, describe you during this current season? I mean, that, that's who he's addressing here. This is the same group of people who in verse 27 were asking, God, did you forget about us? Do you still care? It's those who are spiritually feeling at the end of their rope, those who are lacking spiritual courage, who feel like giving up. Those are the ones who receive the power of God. Man, our God is so gracious. His grace is amazing. I don't want you to miss the good news in that verse that all we need to receive his power is to be weak enough to be vulnerable enough. He increases his strength. He wields his power for those who have no might. God makes it so that his children won't continue in growing faint or weary. How? Because we wait on and we depend on the one who never faints or grows weary. The point is that we get the goods and he gets the glory. We get the help and he gets the honor. 
That is our God. He works for those who wait for him. Later on in Isaiah 64, uh, it says this. I want you to read this. From, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. <laughs> He's saying, at, you see, at the time, no religion had a God who actually served his people. No religion had a God who acts for those who wait for him. But that is our God. That is our amazing God. I want you to read back with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. He says, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall feel exhausted. Isaiah is just shooting it straight here. He's saying, look, even human effort at its best, at its most prime, is inevitably going to fail. And so wait for the Lord, he says in verse 31. Read it with me. Verse 31, he says, but they who wait for the Lord. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Man, that's comforting, right? The key word here is the word wait. It's the Hebrew word kava. Kava. It means to wait with an expectant hope. And so it's not a passive waiting, it's an active, forward-moving waiting. It's not where you're sort of just like shooting the breeze, killing time, staring at the sky in boredom, or scrolling through Instagram in a trance. It's an excited waiting. It's an active waiting, an eager longing. Instead, it's a steady, ongoing progress sustained by the hope of God and grounded in the conviction that your life, your suffering, your waiting will all bring glory to God and will bring good to your soul. I love the way that Ray Ortland, an Acts 29 pastor out of Nashville, I love the way that he really unpacks this verse in his commentary. He says, waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. God gives us great and precious promises, and then he calls us to wait. And Isaiah's point here is that such bright, bright expectancy is the psychological leverage God uses to empower us, to strengthen us. The how question is answered with this word, wait. Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to let God set the pace? Or are you such a controller you can't live on God's terms? Is the prospect of having the glory of the Lord as your eternal delight just beyond the barbed wire, beyond your reach? Or does your heart prize him as worth the wait? If so, your heart will be endlessly renewed until that great day. Man, I love that. You see, God will cause his saints to persevere. That is a covenant promise we have in the scriptures. Are you longing? Are you waiting? Does God seem silent to you? Then wait. He will draw near. He will pull through. Waiting is the means through which you'll experience his strength. And he'll do this for us, not because he needs us. He doesn't strengthen us because he needs, needs us and depends on us, but because he's just totally there for those who trust in him. And so now if you will come to the one who came to serve you by dying for you, 
to give new life to you. And if you let Jesus serve you in that way, then he will come alongside you all of your days. That is a promise from scripture. It's not about taking control. It's about yielding to his control. It's not about getting what we want, but it's about trusting in, coming to trust in what he wants. I found this old hymn by William Cooper, uh, an old hymn writer, uh, and he wrote um, this, uh, this hymn. I, I forget. I don't have in my notes here the name of the hymn, but I think it's um, something about uh, the glorious uh, mystery of like the way the, war- the Lord works. Um, probably butchered it, but I'm just going to read the hymn for you. He says, Deep and unfathomable minds of never-ending skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. And you see, when we wrestle with God, when we strive with God like Jacob did, like, like, like the nation of Israel did, like the people are reminded in Isaiah 40 to wait upon the Lord, God will make plain to us how he's, who he is, how he's in control. And we'll find comfort and strength, our strength renewed uh, when he draws near to us in the season of waiting. Remember our big idea, with a right posture of heart, waiting on the Lord can strengthen our faith and increase our hope. So let me ask, what is it that you're waiting for this morning? What is it that you're waiting for in this season of your life? In God's perfect wisdom, know that he he allows us to feel the thorn of waiting the sting of longing, but he also brings resolution to that longing in Jesus. Romans 8 tells us, we read it earlier, that every one of us has a deep longing that will only be fulfilled when Jesus returns to finally renew and restore all things. So whether you're waiting for something trivial, like for your cookies to get out of the oven, or you're waiting for something significant, like the end of a global pandemic, These are all just shadows of a greater longing, the longing for the one that we were created for. And that is why we need the good news of the gospel. Because the gospel declares to us today that God has already drawn near to us in Christ. And so what do we do when God seems silent, when we're just longing and waiting? You rehearse the gospel to yourself. 
Even when God seems silent, his word shouts to us that he's there. It shouts of God's love for us of what Jesus has done. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, he rode in on the foal of a donkey. The great king of kings rode in on a servant's animal. He died a criminal's death, a death on a cross. And at the cross, Jesus experienced the true silence of the Father. The Father, God the Father, abandoned him. It wasn't the nails that hurt him the most. It was when the Father who uh, who it was when God the Father turned his face away. That divine abandonment. Christ stood in that place so that you and I would never have to experience that. So we would never have to experience what it looks like and what it feels like to be abandoned by God. You see, the cross, the cross, it assures us that God cares, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, that nothing will ever separate you from his love. And just as he's done time and time again for the saints of the past, the Spirit of God can do his greatest work in you in even the darkest of times. My encouragement to you comes out of verse 29, to wait for the Lord. He will renew your strength. He will mount you up. You will not grow weary. You will not grow faint. He is with you. Wait and be encouraged. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.